Good morning, everyone. We're so glad you're here with us today. Welcome to Smyrna Campus. We love you guys. Glad you're connected there and everybody connecting with us online. We're so happy that you can connect with us there, have this time together uh, during the services. But uh, we encourage you to, to subscribe to that YouTube channel if you haven't already. Make sure you follow us on social media. Uh, if you have any questions or anything, just message us there in the chat. We'll be glad to follow up with you there. We are thrilled today to be able to have this new message series that we're starting that leads right in to Easter. Uh, this is a series that's called uh, This Changes Everything. Uh, the theme of Easter, what the event that it's all about, is an event that changes everything for everyone all over the world. There were three friends who were attending the funeral of a co-worker, and uh, as they passed by the casket, they were all just kind of talking about their friend. And after the service, they all got together and, and started asking each other, what would you like for people to say about you when they pass by your casket at your funeral? And one guy said, would I love to have them say I was a good friend and a, and a good family man? I hope they could say that about me. Another one said, well, I, I hope they could say that I was a, a good boss and I treated everybody fairly and, and, and uh, was kind to everyone. The third one said, well, I'm a little different. Here's what I'd like to have happen. When they pass by my casket and they gaze into the casket, I'd like for them to say, look, he's moving. <laughs> right? Death is that thing that hangs over all of us, isn't it? It's, it's the thing that, that really uh, the, the scripture talks about in, in the, the 23rd Psalm, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And sometimes we only connect that with the death event itself. But the valley of the shadow of death is what we walk through our whole time here on this earth. Because while we're here in the flesh, under the curse of sin, the wages of sin is what? It's death. And so we walk in this valley of the shadow of death hanging over us while we walk on this earth. And it's important for us to know that there is an answer that can change things for us, both here and now and for eternity. You see, 2,000 years ago in the Middle East, an event occur occurred that, that changes everything. Because of that event, history has been split in half. Every time you write the date on anything, you are writing a date that's measured by this event that splits history. It's the appearing of Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection. Everything is either before that event or after that event and how we date everything in the world. So we need to know that, that this event does change everything. Every time you write a date, you're pointing to the resurrection of Jesus Christ as the focal point of all of history. So what's so important about Easter? Why do we do a series? Why do we celebrate it? Why is it celebrated all over the world by those who believe in Jesus? It's because it proves Jesus was who he claimed to be beyond any shadow of a doubt. If Jesus rose from the dead, it separates him from every other teacher, every other philosopher, every other leader of any religion and any movement, any culture, or any society. It sets him apart with a power and a promise that no one else can make. It shows us that he really is God in the flesh and that he came to earth to save us. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Acts in the New Testament in Acts chapter 2. I love the book of Acts as I do. I say that about every book in the Bible because I do love them all. But in the book of Acts, we have a history 
of the early church from its very beginning into its early years. And remember, Jesus said to his disciples, I will build my church. He's announcing that it's coming. And he told his disciples he was going to use them to build that church. And he was preparing them to be used by God to put the church that he wanted to put on this earth. And they were going to be the ones who represented him and got all of that started. And in Acts chapter 2, we have a record of when these disciples, after the resurrection of Jesus, Jesus had told them, wait in Jerusalem until you receive this power from on high. And beginning there, you're going to be my witnesses, beginning in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the rest of the world. It's all going to start right there. And so they waited in Jerusalem just like he told them to. And the Holy Spirit came upon them and empowered them. And they began to speak in other languages that they had never studied before. And the crowd assembled and they were amazed by what was happening. And Peter stood up from among all the other disciples and preached the first gospel sermon ever preached. Now, why is this the first one? It's because up until then, there had not been the death, burial, and resurrection, right? That's the gospel. So now this is the very first time the gospel has ever been proclaimed. And Peter is given that privilege. Remember, Jesus told Peter, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. What do you do with keys? You unlock and open doors. So Peter is preaching that first message that's going to open up the doors to the kingdom of God under the new covenant. And the establishment of the church is going to take place. And Peter preaches that first gospel sermon. And it is a powerful sermon. I love that we have at least a good portion of it recorded for us in Acts chapter 2. And I want to pick up with a part of that sermon in verse 22 to verse 24. Peter says, fellow Israelites, because almost everybody in that crowd would have been a Jew that was assembled there in Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost at the time. So this is almost exclusively Jewish audience that he's speaking to. And here's what he tells them. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. So the first thing he does is remind them of all that Jesus had done while he was here. The miracles, the wonders, the signs that he had done. You know the history now. They lived it where Jesus healed the sick. Jesus gave sight to the blind. Jesus caused the lame to walk. Jesus even raised people from the dead. They were eyewitnesses to all of that. And he's reminding them of all of that evidence that Jesus had given them, that God had given them, that Jesus was who he claimed to be. That's, that's part of his sermon is reminding them of those things. And then he adds this, verse 23, this man was handed over to you by God, God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. It's amazing how many times we think we're in control of things. Isn't it? I mean, I mean, these Jewish leaders that wanted to get rid of Jesus thought they controlled all of this. The Roman soldiers that, that were following the orders to, to execute this man, they thought they were in control. The, 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 the Roman commanders thought they had made decisions where they were in control. But, but Peter's reminding them, oh no, God had planned this with his foreknowledge the whole time. This was part of his plan for what he had in mind to do for his lost and fallen world. It says, you with the help of wicked men, talking about the Romans, the Gentiles, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Now, if the message had stopped there, this is why this, is why this changes everything. If the message had stopped there, there would have been no reason 
to go on with the establishment of the church, with calling anybody to come and follow after Jesus. There had been other good teachers before Jesus. There had been others who said, here's the way you need to live before Jesus came on the scene. There had been others who, who seemed to be what they thought were great leaders that, that people followed uh, before Jesus. So the one thing that sets him apart is the next thing in the sermon. You with the help of wicked men nailed him to a cross, but verse 24, but God, you see that changes everything. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Man, that changes everything for everybody for all time. The fact that God raised Jesus from the dead separates him, uh, elevates him, and puts him in a place that no one else had ever been before, that no one else has ever been since. He gives us every reason now to know Moving forward, as we begin this series, I start the message today with this. Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we can know the truth. We can know the truth about everything. There's a passage in Scripture that gets pulled out of context and misused and abused all the time. You will know the truth, and what will the truth do for you? set you free. And it's being used for a lot of movements and a lot of things. But what he's talking about there is being free from the lies and the deceptions of the world. When you know the truth, can they fool you anymore? Can they deceive you anymore when you know the truth? You see, when you put everything up against the truth, the truth will reveal the lies and the deceptions every time. And Jesus, we find out from the resurrection, was telling the truth about everything, about himself, about who he was. So today I want us to look in this message at, at several things that the truth that we, that we can know because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the first one is we can know the truth. If Jesus Christ rose from the dead, biblical Christianity is true, period. Think about that for a moment. If he did rise from the dead, that solidifies the fact that his teaching, his, his guidance, his direction is true. He wasn't lying about any of this stuff, and he proved it by conquering sin and death. You see, that was his whole message. He said he came to seek and to save those who were lost in sin. The wages of sin is what? Death, but the gift of God is what? Eternal life. Is that a lie? Not when you know the resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus proves it to be true. And because he proved himself to be who he claimed to be, then we can trust his message to us. We can trust his example to us. I've said this for many years, and I want you to hear it again. I made up my mind a long time ago to never follow after the teachings of a dead guy. It's not that they didn't have some good things to say. It's just that they don't have the answer that I need for my life. If they're dead... If, if death conquers them, then they don't have the answers I need for my life. I checked it again this week, and it hasn't changed the whole time. I went back and looked at the stats for Nashville, for Tennessee, for the United States, for every other country in the world. Do you know what the death rate is? 100%. That means we're all going to have to face what? Death. So if I'm going to follow after any teacher, I'm going to want it to be a teacher who has an answer for that. 
because I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death and I need answers. I need to know the truth about this. I need to know, is there a way to have victory over the thing every one of us is going to face? I've got friends that I love, family that I love. Many of them already face death. I know the rest are going to face death and I am too. So I want answers for that, don't you? I want a way to have victory there, don't you? I want to have a way to walk right now with a shadow of death over me and not have to fear that shadow in my life. And I don't want my friends or loved ones to have to fear that shadow in their life. And God didn't want anyone to have to face that without an answer, without a way to have victory. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ speaks to the fact that we can know the truth about everything because we need answers. I, I hate watching the news today. I just got to tell you, I do. But I watch it just to keep up with the reports of things that are going on. But every time I watch the news, I see how confused and lost and desperate this world is. And I see them reaching and reaching and reaching for this and that to try to fix it. Let's try to fix this. Let's try to fix that. And they keep trying, thinking somehow we human beings can fix our problems. And just look at history. We haven't fixed any of them. No government program, no, no political party, no leader that's ever lived has ever been able to get it fixed. You know why? Because they don't have the ability to fix it. And if we keep putting our trust that somehow we human beings can fix this ourselves, we'll miss the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. See, the only thing that can fix this is what Christ has done for us. I, it doesn't mean I don't read other things and other, the writings of other leaders. I've read the writings of Confucius and Buddha and Muhammad and Krishna and Gandhi and the Dalai Lama and Mary Baker, Baker Eddy and Joseph Smith. And here's what I find out as I read about all of their teachings and all their philosophies. They're all dead or dying. And none of them have an answer for it. None of them have an answer for it. You know what their answer is? Just do better. Try harder. Keep improving. Maybe one day you can get it right. That's no answer, friends. That's what leaves you hopeless and helpless because you know you keep messing up. You know you keep coming short. Just like I do, all of us do. That's no answer. I want someone who has a real answer. They all had some good things to say, but they don't have an answer for sin and for death. But Jesus did not just talk a good game. He predicted he would conquer death and then he did it. So I think we just need to listen to this guy. I think he has shown us a power and an ability and a provision there that nobody else can offer us. That's why I want to follow him and not anybody else. That's why I put him above all the others. That's why I give his teachings higher preference and priority than any other teachings. In John 14, 6, Jesus said this about himself. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He made an exclusive claim. What gives him the right to make that exclusive claim? He conquered sin and death. The resurrection gives him the right to make that exclusive claim. 
I know we live in a world where we're supposed to be tolerant of everything and say everything is of equal value and everything is of equal truth. And friends, that's a lie and a deception straight from hell itself. Everything can't be true when they contradict each other. That's not how truth works. There's only two options here. It's either true or what? It's not. That's the only other option. That's the way truth works. And Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There are not many truths. There are not many ways. There's one. How can he claim that? He's the only one that conquered sin and death. That's why. That's why he can make that claim because he backs it up with the resurrection. So we can know truth. The second thing that the resurrection does for us is we can know the truth in particular areas. One is we can know the truth about life on this earth because of the resurrection. Here's what the resurrection proves. Listen, I want you to think it through. It proves that man did not evolve from pond scum or apes and our lives do not end at the grave. We are created in the image of an eternal God. We are living souls and the source of life is God himself. Think about it for a moment. When Jesus came out of that grave, he showed that he and he alone had power over death and life. So if he is the source of life, then we can, we can look at all the theories about how everything got here, but it has to come back to this. God is the source of life, period, if Jesus rose from the dead. There is no other source you can go to. Every other source has failed. Every other source comes short of giving life. Only God has been able to give life and he displayed it in Christ when he brought him forth from that tomb. So life comes from God. Not just time over chance with evolving and changing over time. The source of life is God. And we go to great extremes to try to find other explanations and other sources and other ways that could have happened. But Genesis 2 verse 7 says this, The Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Who is the only one that has shown he can give life? God. He's the only one that's ever demonstrated he can give life. So the source of life is found where? It's found in him. Now, God can do that any way he wants, and he can, he can work through different processes over time. It's up to him. But, but we have to acknowledge he's the source of life. And if we want to acknowledge that, then we will never be able to tap into his offer of the promise that we can walk through the valley of the shadow of death without having to fear it without having to be enslaved by it anymore. I love, I read this many years ago and, and I wrote it down, I've saved it. I really love this saying, we are not human beings having a spiritual experience. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. We are eternal. We're going to last forever. Why? Because we're created in the image of a God who is what? Eternal. He's eternal and we're created in his image. That's why we're eternal. 
we are not here on this earth just to recreate and procreate and accumulate and then disintegrate. There's more to our lives than that. We are, we are created in the image of an eternal God, so we're here in the flesh for a time, but we exist forever in eternity. Our lives have meaning and purpose both here and beyond this temporary existence. Uh, it's like the old gospel song, this world is not our home, we're just passing through. The sooner we can get that in our heads, the better. That this is just a temporary place for us. So if it's temporary, you shouldn't get too attached, should you? And you shouldn't make your decisions just based on the temporary existence here when you know you're going to go on after this. Your decisions need to be made in light of here and eternity, both. So how you make decisions and what, what decisions you make will be made differently when you know and understand it affects not just here and now immediately, it affects forever. It has consequences forever. The choices, the decisions we make now have eternal consequences. And so we make different decisions when we understand the eternal consequences of those decisions. If it was just about here and now, we might decide to do things differently. Just get all you can while you can. Don't worry about who you hurt along the way. That's how the world is living. But if you understand there's eternity, you make different decisions in a different way. It's not just about grabbing all you can right now, here and now. It's about laying up treasure for eternity. It's about preparing for the rest of your life after this part is over. It's about bringing as many with you as you can to the place he's prepared for you. It changes the whole existence and purpose of life. As I watch the news and I see all the reports of how people are doing the things they're doing, friends, I, I, I just feel how empty and void they are. Because they're only thinking this is all there is. And they're making decisions based on that temporary existence here on this earth. And that's all that's controlling those decisions. And when you have just that controlling your decisions, you tend to lose that sense of caring about anything but yourself. But if there is God and he is eternal and Jesus gives us the ability to prepare for eternity through him and what he's done for us, then we need to know that our life here on this earth has meaning and purpose far beyond just accumulating the stuff of this world. There's an eternal element here that the resurrection proves does exist. And we have to acknowledge that and live like it's real because Jesus proved that it is real when he rose from the grave. There is that eternal element that has to come into play in how we live our lives today. Well, the third thing I want us to see today is the resurrection shows us the truth about human beings. It's time we came clean on this. And it's time we started telling the truth about this again. See, here's the thing about human beings. People are not essentially good needing just a little bit of refinement. That's what the culture is trying to tell us about human beings. We're all essentially good, and with just a little help and encouragement and a little guidance, we can just get our lives worked out, 
and do good things and be good people. Now, they've been saying that for how long? Forever. How well have we done that? Have they tried to teach us that? Have they had program after program after program of self-improvement for us to follow? Yeah. Have there been a few books written on that? Yeah. That's the biggest section in the bookstore. If there was a bookstore you could ever go to again now. Online, it's the biggest section online is self-help, self-improvement. Right? It's like they're saying, you're just a little bit off course and we can make some course correction and get everything worked out and you'll be okay. Friends, we are not just a little bit off course. We are way off course and we are wandering and we are lost and we are in desperate help. We are deeply flawed by sin. And the sooner we become real with that and honest with that, the sooner we can get the help that only Jesus can give us and he's shown he's the only one by the resurrection. You see, until we admit that we are deeply flawed by sin, we, we need radical transformational rebirth by a power greater than ourselves. We are sinners. We are dead in sin. We are lost in sin. And we cannot fix this ourselves. We cannot. It's time we got real honest about that. It doesn't mean none of those programs have any value. It doesn't mean there's not any good that could come out of some of the efforts to try to help people do better. It doesn't mean all self-help books are, are trash. That's not what it means. It just means we have to realize they cannot ultimately fix this problem for us. And we're wasting a whole lot of energy and time and money trying to do it. You can change all the laws you want to change. You can, you can have all the government programs to help people you want to have. You can spend all the money that could ever be produced and made and printed. And, and that's what we're doing. We're, we're spending money we don't have uh, to try to have these programs and improvements and fix every problem out there. And we're going deeper and deeper in debt and nothing is getting fixed. Nothing is getting fixed. Because we can't fix this ourselves. And no matter how much money you throw at it, it will not fix it. No matter what program you come up with, it will not fix it. No matter what you teach in the schools, in the classrooms, it will not fix it. Because what has to be fixed is in here. We're deeply flawed by sin. And the only thing that can fix that is what Jesus did for us on the cross. And he's the only one who's done what needs to be done to fix this problem. Romans 3.23 says it honestly, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us. You say, well, that's, I'm not as bad a person as that person. That's not the argument. <laughs> you're still flawed by sin. Even if you think you're better than that person. By the way, you're not. But even if you think you are, you're deeply flawed by sin. And so am I. And I can't just make a few course corrections in my life and fix that. I can't just learn to get a better night's sleep and exercise more, eat better, work harder, start being nicer to people. Even if I could do all that consistently, guess what? It won't fix this problem. And that's why God put the church on the earth is because we have the only message that can answer the big questions of life.
we can, we can say the truth about human beings. You see, every other religion, I want you to think about it. Every other religion that has ever existed and exists today is about self-improvement by works. Every other one. You can list any other religion out there and they're all based on improving yourself. Doing better, working harder, correcting some problems and getting your life in order. That's what every other religion offers. Only Christianity gives us an honest appraisal of our sin problem and only Christianity because of that offers us a savior. There's no other religion in the world that offers a savior. Think about that for a minute. Why would they not offer a savior? You know why? Because they're telling you, you can fix this without a savior. That's why they're doing that. They're telling you, you can fix this yourself and you don't need a savior. The fact that God sent Jesus here to die on that cross for us is God telling us, you can't fix this yourself, but I will provide for you what you need to get this fixed. That's the Easter message. That's what the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is all about. Only Christianity offers a Savior, and nothing short of the power of the death, burial, and resurrection of God's Son could break the power of sin and death on our lives. It's the only thing that can do that for us. And that's why Jesus says, I'm the way and the truth and the life. Not one of many. I'm the only one offered. I'm the only one who can. I'm the only one who will do this for you. And so the resurrection reveals to us the truth about human beings, but also reveals to us the truth about God's love for us flawed, failed, sinful human beings. It still amazes me that there are Christ followers who struggle with knowing that God loves them. I just can't fathom that. It, I know maybe you've had other experiences and, and things. I've had things in my life too that weren't good and, and maybe that can cause you to, to doubt God's love. I, uh, but, but anytime I start feeling doubts about God's love, all I have to do is remember the cross. How, how else could you explain the cross apart from God's love? What other possible explanation is there for the God of the universe, the creator God, to make the decision to come to earth and clothe himself in flesh and let people beat him and spit on him and nail him to a cross and kill him there? Why would he ever choose to do that? Except that he loved you so much, he knew that's what it was going to take to get your sin problem fixed so that you could come be with him forever. You see, this is just a temporary part of your life. You're going to exist forever after this. And God wants you to be in that place with him forever. And you can't be in the presence of a holy God with your sin. And you can't fix your sin yourself. And God loves you so much, he wouldn't let it stay like that. So he came and fixed the sin problem for you and for me so that we could go be with him forever. That's how much he loves us. 
He could have simply walked away. But he is a relentless lover of your soul. And he is pursuing everyone on this earth created in his image so that he could bring them to be with him forever. He wants to spend eternity with us. And he knew what it was going to take for that to happen. And he loved us enough to do it. It's amazing. The love of God. We say John 3, 16, like it's just so simple and easy. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. But listen to that. He so loved you that he gave what? His one and only son for you. Friends, that's love. That's love beyond any measure. That's love beyond anything this world has to offer us. That is the ultimate pinnacle of love. And he loves you like that. And he loves me like that. Because of that love, he sent Jesus here. And he didn't just send him to the cross. You see, if he had stopped there, then, then the love would have been incomplete because it wouldn't have provided a way for us to have freedom and, and victory over sin and death. He didn't just leave him in that tomb. He brought him out of the tomb so he could show us that through him we can have life forever with, with God in his presence. We could have victory over the wages of our sin. We wouldn't have to perish. We could have eternal life. And that leads to the last thing today, the fifth thing. The resurrection of Jesus tells us the truth about the adversity in our lives the struggles, the heartaches, the problems that we face. See, on that terrible Friday when they saw Jesus be arrested, they saw him taken through the mockery of a trial. They witnessed him being beaten, flogged, and nailed to a cross. They saw him breathe his last breath on the cross, and they saw as they took his body down, and they went and took that body and laid it in a grave and closed up the tomb. They witnessed all of that. And Peter and John and Thomas and the rest, you know what they thought? They thought it was over. They thought Jesus had failed. They thought they had failed by putting their trust in Jesus. They thought their dreams of the kingdom had failed. Everything they had hoped for they thought was finished. Then a couple of days later, they start hearing these rumors. There are these ladies that start saying, hey, we saw Jesus alive again. And they must have thought, that's crazy. Here's what you have to know. We have the hindsight. They didn't have that. Right? They didn't have all the evidence that came after that. They're dealing with the reality of the moment. Jesus was dead. Death is final. Why, why are they talking about we saw Jesus and Jesus was alive? Nobody's ever done that before. This doesn't happen. When, when you're dead, you're dead. Don't they have any respect for the dead? Were they trying to add insult to injury? We're already so upset. Why would you stir up a rumor like that? And some of them rushed to the tomb and they found out the tomb was empty. But that could have meant a lot of things too, right? They're trying to figure out why is the tomb empty? Did the Romans move the body? Did, did somebody steal the body? What's going on? They didn't have all the answers yet. And they're, and they're thinking we still feel defeated we still don't know any answer we thought we did but now we don't know that we did and then and then one day they're sitting in a room where the doors are locked and they're scared they don't know what to do next and Jesus stands right there with them again they saw him 
They talked with him. He held out his hands and showed them his side. And the people who knew Jesus better than anybody else were in that room and they knew they were seeing Jesus again. They knew he was alive. And the people that crept away from Golgotha in fear and in shame and in defeat now started standing up in the streets of Jerusalem like Peter did on that day we just read, proclaiming that Jesus Christ is alive, he's risen, and he's Lord and Savior of all. And nothing changed their message for their whole lives. They consistently proclaimed that Jesus conquered death for us. Even in the face of torture and death, they never changed their story. The fact that they knew Jesus was alive changed everything for them and for us. You see, death wasn't irreversible after all. Neither was their pain and their unbelief and their fear. None of it was final because they saw Jesus conquer death. Their crushing sense of failure could give way now to confidence. They could be bold in Jesus' name. When they finally realized what they were witnessing and what they had experienced, it, it changed them. They, they, now were, they now were willing to be bold in the name of Jesus in the face of any opposition. You see, the empty tomb of Easter morning means that darkness can be replaced by light, that failure can be replaced by victory, and that death can be replaced by life. And that changes everything for everybody who would believe it. Easter is not just some special spring Sunday. It's the ultimate proof that no bad thing, not even death itself, is final in Jesus and friends, when you know that, it changes your whole life forever. As Peter finished up that sermon in Acts chapter 2, look at verse 36. He concluded his sermon by saying this. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. He's boldly saying, now, Without any hesitation, I know for a fact that God has made Jesus our Lord, our ruler, and our Messiah, our Savior, and I'm going to proclaim him to the world. And the people who heard this message, it says, were cut to the heart, and they asked Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? When it says they were cut to the heart, it means they were convicted of their sin. They understood but their sin put Jesus on that cross. That's the only reason he had to go there. It's because of their sin. And if you're sitting here today and you understand that, then listen to the rest of the message. They're asking Peter and the others, huh, what can we do? How can we make things right with God again? Peter told them, it says here in verse 30, uh, 38, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So he said, all right, here's some steps you need to take because you believe the message I just preached to you. You need to repent, turn from your sins. You need to be obedient now in Christian baptism, be buried with Christ in baptism. The scripture calls it a, a death, burial, and resurrection like that of Jesus himself where you're united with him in his death, burial, and resurrection. It's a beautiful picture of being united in, in Christ with what he did for you on the cross and in the tomb and rising again. He says, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The gift is the Holy Spirit himself. God gives you his spirit to come and indwell you. And notice what the scripture says about the spirit. It's the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead that lives in you now. It's amazing. The transformational power of coming to know and believe in Jesus 
But he adds something in verse 39 that is really the key for us today. He says, this promise is for you, the crowd that he was talking to. This promise of eternal life through Jesus, death, burial, and resurrection is for you, Jews in the crowd today. But he didn't stop there. He said, it's also for who? Your children, right? For the generations coming behind you. It's for them too. This promise is for them. But not just for them. Who else is it for? For all whom the Lord our God will call. This promise is here for you today. It's here for me today. It's a promise to all that the Lord would call. And if you're hearing his call in your life today, whether you're listening online, you're at the Smyrna campus, here at the Antioch campus, wherever you are, if you're hearing the call of God on your life, this promise is for you. And he's asking you, do you believe? Are you ready to accept his offer? To, to receive the benefits of the promise he's making to you? that he accomplished for you through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're going to have a time right now where we allow you that opportunity to come in response to God's call in your life. If you've never professed the name of Jesus, you can do that today. If you've never been obedient and repenting, turning from your sins, you can, you can turn right now, right here, right where you are. If you've never been obedient in Christian baptism, you can take that step of obedience right here. We've got everything ready. You don't have to do any preparation. It's all ready for you. If you're listening online and you need somebody to follow up with you and lead you in those steps, just message us there. We'll be glad to follow up with you there. See, here's what I know. What Jesus did for you on the cross and what he accomplished for you in the resurrection, if you let it, it will change everything for you too. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. We thank you that in Christ we have this promise. This promise that his payment for sin is made in full. This promise that putting our faith and our trust in him changes everything for us. This promise that, that we can have life not just here that's a little bit improved, but life eternal with all of the promises and the security of your love and your presence and your power, your spirit dwelling in us, guiding and directing and empowering us both here and for eternity. Father, I pray if anyone needs to make that decision to respond to your call in their lives, that today would be the day, this moment would be the moment where they come to know the fulfillment of that promise in their hearts and their lives. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.